Grab your Bible. We're going to get to John chapter 10. Are you excited about our study in John? Come on now. You still excited? Because, you know, I'm, I'm this guy, you get like about halfway in and you're like, eh, did we really choose to do 21 chapters? That was crazy. I'd like to go do something else. Wouldn't it be fun if we, and the message is like again and again and again and again and again. It's like the same thing. It's the gospel. I think John's trying to like help people accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He's trying to like say it's all about Jesus and this is all the proof, right? That you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Remember that? And uh, I'm telling you, um, it doesn't get old if we have the right heart and the right spirit. And so I just pray that we'll be, we come in afresh today. Like Brent was saying, like we don't want to be like, ah, I've been there, done that. I heard the gospel. Right? The gospel's for you today. I want to say that right out. The gospel is for you today. Even if you've already accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the gospel is for you today. Preach the gospel to yourself and let the word of God wash over you. Is he worthy? That's the series we're in. Is Jesus worthy? What do you say? I say yes. I say he's worthy, right? And I read the passage this week. I'm like, for sure he's worthy. I don't know anybody that thinks he's not worthy, but they should read the Bible because he's definitely worthy. And, and that's so easy for me because I have Christ in me. But there might be somebody today that's like, why? Is he worthy? You say yes, but why do you say yes? Why? And I want to answer that question today. Jesus has the right to be called the Son of God. That's why, right? Jesus has the right to be called the Son of God. Do you know that? It's His right to be called God. The Son of God. It is His right. And so I want to look at today why I should believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Right? Why? I should believe, why you, why I should believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Here's the first point. His words are clear. Not a clever outline. Just the truth. Just straight at you. His words are clear. He says He is God. I want you to see it in the passage. Let me read it for you. John chapter 10, verse 22. At that time, the feast of dedication took place. In Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, that's the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I have that highlighted in my Bible. I think that's one of the most astounding things. That Jesus continues to answer his critics and continues to be loving in his answer. I just love that about Jesus. That I want to be like Jesus that way. I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Does that sound familiar, church? That's our theme verse for the year, right? We're there. Here it is. Follow me. He says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. 
and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Underline this. I and the Father are one. Clear? Is that clear? I and the Father are one. That's clear. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Is it clear what their response is? Unbelief. I hope your response will be different. No tomatoes today, please. Okay. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? That's a calm, collected answer. I think I would be like, run! The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. You, being a man, make yourself God. I think there's a lot of that, actually, in our life. But in regards to Jesus, he is the man. He is God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said you are God's. You might want to write in your uh, Bible there, Psalm 82.6. That's where it says it, Psalm 82.6. I said you are God's. If he called them God's to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. I just want to add that there. Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the Son of God? Is it clear? Underline that. I am the Son of God? Is that clear? His words are clear. He says he is God. They're not denying that he's claiming to be God. They know he's claiming to be God. That's why they want to kill him. Because they're very clear that he's saying, I am God. I'm equal to, I'm unified with God. We're one. Verse 37. If, big question here, Jesus asking every one of you, if I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, I would even add my words, the clarity here, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him and he escaped from their hands. And he went away across the Jordan to a place, to the place where John had been baptizing at the first. Perea is the name of it. And they, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no signs, no miracles. But everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. It's a great passage of Scripture. 
verse 38, just look that you may know and understand that, underline this, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. The Father is in me and I am in the Father. That's three statements he said that are very clear. I and the Father are one. I am the Son of God and the Father is in me and I am in the Father. His words are clear. He says he is God. So why? Why should I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? His words are clear. He says he is God. Now, I study everything, so I've got to give you some context here. Context. At, the time, the fe- uh, at that time, the Feast of Dedication. Does anybody know what the Feast of Dedication is? Is it in the Old Testament? Let's vote. Is it in the Old Testament? This says yes. This says no. Is it in the Old Testament? I'm not giving it away. The Feast of Dedication is not in the Old Testament. You would think it's in the Bible. You're like, for sure it's in the Old Testament. It's not one of the three feasts in the Old Testament. Literally, this is coming up. This is Hanukkah in the Bible. This is the Feast of Lights. This is an eight-day feast in December, in the winter. This is the intertestament period, right? There was 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God was silent for 400 years. And remember what happened? Antiochus Epiphanes, right? He came in. I think it was 168 B.C. before Christ, and he desecrated the temple. He killed a pig. He was offering it to Jupiter in the temple. It gets gross. He made, he made the Jews drink the blood of that pig. And some people said, that's enough. Right? And by... 165 B.C., Judas Maccabees, right? Apophrical books, right? He had created an uprising. They had taken back Jerusalem. And this was them rededicating. This was the time they rededicated the temple to God. And they did this eight-day feast, feast of dedication. And so you can think about what the Jewish leaders are thinking about. They're like, yeah, yeah, wasn't it great when Judas Maccabees, like, wasn't it great when he was our Messiah, our Savior, our, our Christ? And they corner, do you see it here? The, the, Jesus is walking through the portico of Solomon, Solomon's portico, I've got a picture of that for you. It's, it's, it looks like that, it's got a bunch of pillars and you can kind of walk through the porch, a lot of things happen Acts 2 happened there. And he's walking through the porch. Zippity doo da, zippity day. My oh my, what a wonderful day. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, did Jesus ever have a bad day? He's having a great day for all of eternity. I hope you're having a great day. If you're in eternal life, you're having a great day, right? And he's like having a great day. And you know what happens? Well, the text says it. These guys gathered around, literally, they surround him and they said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. 
Literally what they're saying is, say it again, say it again that you're God. Say it again and we're going to take you out. Tell us, is it true? We've gathered everyone together. Just tell us again and we're going to get at it. And he says, I told you. I told you. And you do not believe. I told you. Can you imagine being surrounded by a lot of angry people that think you're a liar? Want to kill you? Anybody? I mean, that was Jesus' existence. And the Bible says that if we are going to do something for Christ, that we're going to be persecuted too. So let's not lose that, right? When you're looking at this like, oh yeah, Jesus had it hard, but man, my life is great. Maybe we're not on it like Jesus is on it if our life is great. We can still be living an eternal life. We can still be counting our blessings. We can still have joy in trials. But there's going to be some persecution. There's going to be some trials in our life or we're not living like Jesus. I think that's a good thing to just point out. As I'm reading this passage, I'm like, meh. I don't remember the last time I cornered Jesus and was like, are you Jesus? Are you the Christ? Are you God? I'm more likely in our culture, and you're probably more likely in our culture, to ignore him. To just leave him on the sidelines and say, I got this one. I got today, Jesus. It's okay. I'll I'll see you when I get home. We're more likely to ignore him than to press into him and ask him if he's really who he is. To test him. We're more likely to ignore him, sadly. Maybe I should just ask you rather than try to come up with something clever. What's it like with you and Jesus? Are you ignoring him? Are you pressing into him? Are you hearing his voice? He says... That the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe me because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I think it's a fair question. I think that's what we're trying to answer all year is like, am I really hearing God? Is God speaking to me? Am I hearing his voice? Whether it's from the word of God or the spirit of God at times that cuts off your thought, gives you a different thought, a thought that isn't yours, and if you test it by the word, is godly. Right? Let's just be clear. Not like, hey, go to Giordano's for pizza this weekend. All right? You guys don't even know what Giordano's is. Chicago pizza. It's good. There's some good pizza places in town. Don't get me wrong. All right. He says, I told you, I told you, but you do not believe. And, and, and I want to just, I don't have a lot of time, but I just want to go back and, and give you a couple things that he told them. All right? A couple things that he told them. So, so you saw the three things I said here, but if you just flip back in your Bible to chapter 5. Flip back to chapter 5. He heals this... Bl- guy and in verse 17 looks what he says chapter 5 verse 17 
But Jesus answered them, My father, they were really upset with that. You go, how do you know? I'll, keep, I'll read the next verse too. My father is working until now, and I am working. Verse 18. This is why... This was why the Jews were seeking to kill him, all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Had he told them? He told them, right? And then he told them in chapter 8, verse 12. Well, chapter 6, he told them, I am the bread of life. In chapter 8, he said, I am the light of the world. In chapter 10, which we studied last week, he said, I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. He's told them, you can go back and look, just read John 1 through 10. You guys all good for that? Like just this week, just go back and study what we've already studied. Maybe you're new, you're, you're coming for the first time. We've already studied chapters 1 through 10. This is it. Chapter 11 is like this pinnacle moment where he's going to, Raise Lazarus from the dead. And in doing that, he's saying, I'm going to die, right? He's sealing his own death. Go back and read chapter 1 through 10 and look at how many times Jesus is clear with his words to the Jews. And then choose whether to believe or not believe. I think about it in my life. I'd like to use myself as an illustration. God has said some things to me. You're like, really? God speaks to you? Yep. Not like, you know. It's more like when I was 16, I knew I was a sinner because of pornography. So I repented of that and said, God, I need you in my life. Forgive me for my sin. Be my Lord and Master. Right? So when you grow up in church, you don't think you, you stink. You know? It's kind of fun to say. You don't think you stink. Go ahead, say it. When you grow up in church, you don't think you stink. You're like, look around at everybody else. You're just trained to be like, I'm better than most. So that's good enough. But it was the sin of pornography and the grossness of that sin that caused me to know I needed a Savior, Jesus Christ. You have gross sin in your life? Do you have a sin that's causing you to know you need a Savior? That's a good place to start. So I got on my knees, I prayed, and I asked God to save me. When he saved me, I said to him, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Right? I think salvation isn't just a gold ticket into heaven. It's a life commitment to a master. I said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Then I started to think it you know, a little bit. So I started to think this thought, because I was a good Baptist kid. I'm going to be a missionary in Africa. I wonder where in Africa I'm going to be. I'm thinking that thought. I didn't get to the end of it. And it was cut off by love and lead the people of Rochester. I didn't know what to do with that. I thought to myself, I guess I go tell my friends about Jesus. Over time, I have realized that was God calling me to a ministry. Calling me to do something for him. And so I've tried to be faithful to that calling as God's revealed that to me to try to preach the word, to try to love and lead the people of Rochester. When I was almost 30, I was 29 years old, I was reading through Acts. Imagine that, a pastor reading the Bible. And uh, it was kind of new for me. But uh, I was reading through Acts and, and I'm telling you what, it was changing my life. I was hearing God say, you need to be baptized. 
was like, I was already baptized. I was, I was 12 when I was baptized. I was sixth grade. You need to be baptized. And I kept reading the word. You need to be baptized. And as I started to read the word, you are saved and baptized. Saved and baptized. You repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of your sins. Acts 2. And I started to go, hold on. I was baptized at 12. I was saved at 16. Seems a little out of order to me. And so God kept speaking to me, kept saying to me, you need to be baptized, you need to be baptized. I was a pastor of a church. That comes with some baggage. I was like, I can't go to my senior pastor and say I need to be baptized. Will I even have a job? I've lied to them, right? But God was clear and he was speaking to me. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. I know what they need to do. I know who they are and they follow me. And it took me a little while, but I followed Jesus into the waters of baptism. January 15th, 2006. I was the youth pastor at the church and I got baptized telling everybody, I believe in Jesus Christ. And I got to tell you, there's some power in that because my life has been radically different ever since I started obeying God. Man, there's so many more. I could give you so many more illustrations. When I came to Harvest Naperville, I applied for a job at a hotel right next door and I got in the car, I prayed, I said, God, if you want me to have this job, let them take my resume and and let them call me. If you don't, let them throw it away before it ever gets to anybody. And God cut off that thought, that prayer, and he said, go go to Harvest and ask them if they need a janitor. I'll shorten the story. It's a long uh, battle of right-left turns and uh, a lot of arguments with God and almost some yelling, too, in the elevator, like, God, what are you doing? But I got to the fourth floor of the building and I asked the the, the assistant or the, the receptionist there, hey, who would I tell? By the way, okay? Like you just don't show up at church and be like, hey, I, my meeting is now, right? Like, no, your meeting's not now. I didn't know you were coming, right? Like, I mean, there is work going on. Like, it's not like we don't love people, but it's like there is a schedule, right? So if you stop by the office, please, we'll play you in ping pong. That'd be fun. But just know like if we're in something deep, we probably will just say like, come back in an hour or something, you know? Like, so it was not normal. And he said, come on in. I'm like, all right. So he's like, hey, um, say, I'm just supposed to ask you if you need a janitor or something. And, and he says, tears in his eyes, running down. And I'll never forget this moment. Tears running down his eyes. He's like, Steve, I was just on my knees praying that God would send us a facilities director. I just let go of our facilities director this morning. I was praying that God would bring us a new one. And we started to talk about what the role was, and he started saying what it was, and I was like, that's what I do. (laughs) And uh, the rest is history. That's God. I mean, that's not just God speaking. That's God making you do what he wants you to do, that one. Okay? So uh, that wasn't like, my sheep hear my voice and I obey them, you know, follow me. That was like, you're going to come kicking and screaming, right? Just sometimes it's like that. You get the idea. Think back in your life. 
had any moments like that? Maybe God drug you by the ear kicking and screaming, or maybe he just, still small voice, cut off your thought, and he said, hey, this is what I have for you. This is where I want you. This is it. If you just do this, it's going to go well. Have you heard his voice? Sometimes all the world and all the things that we do just block out his voice and we don't hear him. I want to hear his voice every day. I want you to hear his voice every day. That's why I keep telling you, go read your Bible, right? And go spend some time with the Lord and and just roll up to him and just say, God, what do you have for me today? His words are clear. He says he is God. He says it. John 10, 27. We'll just throw it on the screen. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Maybe he has been speaking to you, but you can't hear him through the unbelief. That's a possibility too, right? He's speaking clearly. These guys aren't getting it. Maybe he's been speaking to you. Maybe you're like, Steve, God's never spoke to me. Maybe he's speaking to you, but you're just not hearing him. Is that possible? Is it possible that God's been knocking at the door of your heart for some time and been speaking to you and you just aren't hearing him because of unbelief? That's the story in the passage here, right? These guys, just, they just can't get it. They can't hear him because of unbelief. Here's the second thing. Why should I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? First, his words are clear. He says he is God. Second, his works are good. He shows he is God. He says, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. He says farther down, verse 37, if I am not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, do the works of my Father, even though you do not believe what I say, the words that I'm saying, even though they're clear, if you don't believe the words, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. How powerful is that? Even if you can't hear my voice, would you look at my face? Would you look at the works that I've done? Would you see how I've worked and orchestrated you being here today in church? It's a miracle that some of you guys are here today. It's a miracle that I'm here today. God is getting you right where he wants you. He's making you spiritually fit to receive what he already has planned. There's two doctrinal things here uh, that I don't want to go by. I can't teach completely on them, but they're, they're just you got to know they're here, and you can go study on your own, and I'll hopefully come back and preach some of these things on a topical uh, way someday, but I'm going to try to get through the whole text. So there's two doctrinal things in this passage. The election, right? Election. He says... He says, verse 25, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. So there's some people that are God's sheep and there's some people that aren't. You're like, oh my goodness, I hope I am. Me too. (laughs) 
But election, it says this in a commentary, Warren Wiersbe, the lost sinner who hears God's word knows nothing about divine election. If you're here today, you're like, what's election? I don't even get it. That's, probably, that's how I was. He hears only that Christ died for his sins, the sins of the world, and that he may receive or she may receive the gift of eternal life by trusting the Savior, Jesus. When he trusts or she trusts that the Savior, he becomes a member of God's family and a sheep in the flock. Then he learns that he was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.4. He also learns that each saved sinner is the Father's love gift to his Son. See John 10.29. We're going to get there in a second. And chapter 17 of John. We'll get there in a few weeks or months. In the Bible, divine election and human responsibility are perfectly balanced. And what God has joined together, don't separate those two things. It's not one or the other, it's both. You have a responsibility, but you find out that God chose. And you're like, whoop! How loving is God to choose me? I love that about God. So election is a thing. The second thing is eternal security. Eternal security. Maybe the best verse in all of Scripture right in front of us. He says in verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Snatch. Purse. I got this out of my wife's closet. Don't judge. And, and so you got your purse. You know, my grandma, my grandma, my grandma Ethel. Oh, my grandma. We would go some places, and she would clutch her purse. I mean, it was like, oh, iron grip. And I still say this to people. I'm like, hey, 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 you know, protect your whatever, you know, because, because I got this paranoia my grandma instilled in me, like somebody's going to steal something from you at any second. I tell my kids, don't. Be close. Somebody's going to take you. But that's what he's talking about here with snatch. You know, imagine you're just kind of walking along and somebody sees that you're not paying attention as we are sometimes as believers, not paying attention to our relationship with Jesus. And all of a sudden, boom! It's gone! And they're running! And you may not get that purse back. And that's a snatch. That's the word, okay? To take by force, to take quickly, to run away with it, right? But I'm telling you, even though we may not be paying attention to our relationship with Jesus Christ, He is always on it. Eternal security. He is always guaranteeing through the Holy Spirit. He is always keeping you in the center of his will. He's always protecting you from the Satan or demons snatching you away. You cannot be taken away. Now that's, is that not good news? Praise the Lord. If you're saved, you're like, that's good news. Here's the problem. I just got to point this out. Eternal security is one thing. Assurance of salvation is another. 
And so many times, you might be in here today and you may be like, am I saved? You're asking me to answer this why question and I don't know. Do I, do I love Jesus? Am I a sheep? Do I, why should I believe Jesus is the Son of God? Do I believe? I don't know. Am I, am I His? And a lot of Christians will go, well, once saved, always saved. Eternal security. And they'll apply eternal security in this verse to your life. That's a different question. That's two different questions, right? I want to say it to you very clearly, okay? Eternal security is, does God keep his own? What's the answer? Yes, he does, all right? But assurance of salvation is, am I one of his own? And that takes examining your life, right? We're saved by faith. You examine yourself by faith, not by works, right? We're saved by faith. So examine yourself by faith. Am I one of his own? Am I following him? Do I see any fruit in my life? Am I obeying him? I went months without obeying him when I was needing to be baptized. But I'm baptized. And that's good evidence of salvation, isn't it? Praise the Lord. So you might be in a couple months of like, I don't want to do what he says. It doesn't mean you're not saved. But I'm not going to slap this eternal security on you. Okay, we're clear? There's an assurance of salvation in that doctrine, right? Go to 1 John. And read 1 John 1-5 through 5 and say, Am I this? These are the five marks of a, a Christian. Am I this? And, and, and judge yourself rightly by faith. Alright, keep moving on. Everybody say move on. Okay, there was two doctrines there. I didn't want to like, not too long, but not, not too short either. Okay, here it is. His works are good. He shows us he is good. His works are good. He shows us he is good. So I thought the best way to illustrate this for you is um, how God's been good to our church. We planted in 2011. And uh, we planted, our budget was like 10 grand a month, right? And um, most offerings, uh, weekends are over 10 grand a week. But our budget was 10 grand a month and uh, we never hit it. October, we didn't hit it. November, we didn't hit it. December, we didn't hit it. And I'm in the middle of December. Remember my calling at 16? And, and there's another one I left out of how God said Rochester's the thing. And I'm just like on my face in my basement saying, God, you promised. You promised. This is your church, your people, right? And I'm just crying out to him for like a week. Tears hitting the floor. And you know what? God was good. And he showed his goodness in a tangible way. The next week was January 1st, 2012. We had a five grand offering. I was like, what just happened? And people were coming. And, uh, you know, since that day, if you go look at the 10-year vision, it's been like this. Like just more people, more money, more small groups, more. It's been like this. And it's been so fun. And I think this year, a little of this. Eh. But you know what? Can you do that with joy too? I hope you can. Are you going to have some of that as well? In April of 2013, I was preaching. And I asked people to be saved and to be baptized. We had done a couple baptism services at the pool at Kellogg, but this one, 
we lined all our members up down the hallway, I remember it. And we were like, hey, you know, just slap hands of people when they come out, right? And um, I asked people to stand up and confess Jesus as Lord, and I asked them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And you know what? 18 people that day accepted Christ either for the first time or again, right? And uh, made a commitment and said, I want to put my stake in the ground. I'm going to go be baptized. I want the whole world to know that I'm with Jesus. That's amazing. That's God's goodness. If that doesn't get you excited, church, we got problems. I mean, seriously, no. Maybe I didn't tell the story good. I don't know, whatever. But like, just can you think about the fact of what I just said? 18 people. All right, let's just test you one more time because now I'm, I'm a little ledgy. I'm like, kind of want to rebuke you, but I, I'm just, I want to love you too. Like, I'm just, I don't know what to do right now. All right. Last week, six people gave their life to Jesus Christ in this auditorium. That is an act of God. That's when God shows up and he does his thing, right? And I'm not trying to badger you for an applause or anything like that, but I'm trying to get you to understand that God's works are good. And he is showing you that he is God. And if we miss it because we're like, oh, that's just normal. People just do that. People don't do that. How humiliating is that to get in a tank of water and get baptized and be like, yeah, I'm dying to my old self, which I used to think was awesome, and I'm living for this guy that I've seen in, in this word, in this book. Like, people don't do that stuff. Unless God's like, you're mine. So I pray that he does that even today in, in your life again or for the first time. I want to encourage you to look back over your life. Can you do it right now? Get your pen out. You got your paper, right? Look back over your life. I'll give you just a second here. What are some good things that God's done in your life? Go ahead. Write them down. This will encourage you. What are some things that God's done in your life? You're like, that is so good. No, we're not pro preaching prosperity gospel. I want to be clear about that. So remember, sometimes God's working good for you through good, what you think is good. And some God, sometimes maybe he's even carrying you through a really hard time or season. So let's not just think, if it's good, then I'm good with God and God's good with me. No, no. If it's hard, maybe you're really good with God and he's teaching you some cool stuff that's going to be way beyond where you could be at. I pray. You have something written down? I hope that you do now. Uh, but would you take some time to journal those things this week? It's really going to encourage you to think back and say, God's been good. And you might not feel it right now. Even when I don't feel it, right? You're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Never stop. Never stop working. Man, that song's been so special. Because he is working. He's good. Do you see it in your life? Do you see it in your life? That's the question. Okay, last point. Why should I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? His words are clear. He says he is God. His works are good. He shows he is God. And this is the last one. His way is perfect. God, Jesus is Believe him. His way is perfect. Jesus is God. Believe him. Now, 
You can get that from this passage, but I also think there's a verse in Psalm 1830, one of my favorite verses in the Psalms, and it says this. This God, I mean this God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. You just got to soak that in. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a refuge, right? He is a shield for those who take refuge in Him. He is a shield. He's going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. He's going to put you under the shelter of His wings like a hen who covers his chicks, her chicks. He says, I'm the Son of God. I'm going I'm to skip to the end here because uh, I'm a little bit over time, but here it is. And thank you for your patience with me. Five things that I can believe about Jesus. Let me just give you this. Five things that I can believe about Jesus. I feel like as I was studying this, I really got amped up right here in the study. So I just want to close with this. I get really, 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 really emotional and really, really just like, man, God, man. And I just got to share these five things that God just, here they are. This is it. You can believe me. Here they are. Here it is. You can believe this. He made you. He made me. You are knit. Sin separates us from Jesus Christ. You need to know that. Sin is the problem in my life. Even when I sinned, Romans 5.8 says, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That just got me amped up this week. Why do you love me so much, God? I can believe in you. And then this, He came for me. God didn't stay in heaven and say, Satan, have the world. I'll, I'll just make another one. God sent Jesus Christ. When I was lost, He came and found me. Luke 15 came to mind, just that lose, leaving the 99 to go get the one. He left 99. He left all the angels, and He left His Father. He came for me. I love that about Jesus. And if that's not good enough, He died for me. Though I didn't deserve it, He went to the cross have you heard of the cross? I haven't talked about this yet. The cross is the moment where Jesus spilled his blood in a perfect sacrifice for your sin. It's the payment that is required for your sin. And he died for me. He died for you. And then last, not only did he make me and he loves me, he came for me and he died for me, but he lives in me. If he lives in you, do you think you could hear him? Inside you, saying some things, moving you around. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. What a great passage of Scripture. You know what the problem is? There's always a problem, right? My unbelief is keeping me from believing the clear words of Jesus and from trusting the good things, the works that are good that Jesus has done. But it's my unbelief. It's not his words aren't clear. It's not his works aren't good. It's my unbelief. His way is perfect. Jesus is God. I need to believe in him. I need to trust him. Can I tell you that's been hard for me? 
Sometimes when you're going through hard stuff, you don't, you're like, I don't know, can I trust you, Lord? That's probably been hard for you at times too, huh? When it's hard, you don't know if you can trust God. God, I've been there. Truth in church. Man, I'm here to tell you, to encourage you, whether you're a believer or maybe whether you're coming and hearing this for the first time, you can trust him. You can trust Jesus. You can trust him. That's why I believe that Jesus is son of God. His words are clear. He says he's God. His works are good. He shows he's God. And his way is perfect. Jesus is God. Believe in him.